welcome back to Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, presented by Two True Freaks. I'm your host, Magnus, and guys, technically what you're supposed to be hearing right now is another episode of Weird Stuff with me and Chris Honeywell, and in fact, I even know what the subject matter should have been, but the simple fact of the matter, guys, is <clears throat> I've been really busy for the past several weeks, and so as a result of that, I haven't really had a chance to sit down with Chris and record another Weird Stuff episode and all of that, and so anyway, <clears throat> it's really my fault, like I say, so, you know, usually whenever I have to do these kind of fill-in types of shows in place of the big book report or in place of weird stuff, <clears throat> just want to get a quick sip off my Dr. Pepper, usually whenever I have to deal with these types of uh, fill-in shows, the uh, standard disclaimer that I give you guys is that both sides are at fault, and so it's not like one person's the bad guy and the other person's the good guy and all of that, and uh, that doesn't really apply here. In this case, it uh, pretty much totally is my fault. So anyway, sorry, but uh, <clears throat> so because of all of that, I thought, well, what can I talk about? And guys, I really was actually kind of agonizing over this for a couple of days and then it hit me you know I don't really do a ton of feedback anymore I mean there was a time when you know feedback on this show was done fairly often seemingly those days are behind us and so as a result um, what I want to do is just spend some time uh, working my way through some feedback here and uh, well just see what I come up with I guess so anyway uh, to get right into it the uh, first email in this huge backlog of stuff that I have to work through, the first email that, uh, that that I've got in the hopper here, this is from my old friend, Fanboyimus Prime, sent on October the 12th, 2014. So obviously I'm pretty freaking far behind with my feedback. <clears throat> the, uh, like I said, date is October the 12th. Actually, no, I'm sorry. I'm sitting really far away from... Yeah, no, actually, my bad. October the 2nd, 2014, because that's so much better. Uh, uh, October the 2nd, 2014, Fanboy Miss Prime. The subject line is All-Star Superman. So would anybody care to take a guess what Prime wants to talk about? Anyway, Prime writes, Greetings, Magnus. I'd have to agree that Star Trek and Star Wars have very, have very different or rather are very different fundamentally. And I'm more a Trekkie than a Warzy, though HK-47 is awesome. And for those of you out in Rio Tombaugh, HK-47 is a character from one of the Star Wars video games. But to get back into Prime's email, he writes, And I do wish more stories that say love defeats evil would involve someone shot in the legs with a sniper rifle, as that's what HK-47 said love was. <laughs> Oh, wow. I didn't... Uh, I'm going to put Prime's email on pause here. Hey, Prime, I, I honestly didn't know that. I mean, look, I, I'm going to be honest with you, with you, man. I'm uh, really not a big video game guy. And as, I, as a matter of fact, I even had to Google who HK47 is. And <clears throat> um, I got to tell you, the name means nothing to me other than... Like, the the, the sense that I got was... He is very much a fan favorite. You know, a lot of people seem to really like him. Anything more than that, I could not tell you. So, uh, 
I don't know. But uh, getting back into Prime's email, he writes, Anyway, on to Superman. I really am not a Superman fan like you would put it. Or at least, in that I don't have a set era that I call, quote, my Superman, unquote. Then again, I got into reading Superman's books with Up, Up, and Away, also known as the era DC had no idea at all what direction they wanted to take the Man of Tomorrow. I'm going to, well, no, actually I'm going to finish this paragraph, which probably explains why my idea of Superman takes bits and pieces from all his eras. I'm going to put this email back on on a pause and say, you know, uh, Prime, as you may or may not know, I'm going on hiatus in the fall, which is to say just really like a month and a half or so away, something like that. So um, going on hiatus, basically it's going to be September is what it comes down to. Going on hiatus in September, and um, I'm not coming back until I get married. You know, once that is taken care of, that's all sorted out and out of the way, at some unknown, vague time after I get married, yes, I, I will resume Trennis Magnus Punch's reality, right? And uh, in and amongst all of the different changes and things I'm going to be doing is I'm getting rid of the eight-episode format, uh, you know, of six episodes where I talk about anything I want, a seventh episode uh, about weird stuff with Honeywell, and then an eighth episode about Smallville. I'm getting rid of that, and I'm just going to release episodes, right? Whatever subject matter those episodes happen to be about, that's what they're about. So basically what I'm saying is weird stuff and Smallville – those things are going to be done on a more like irregular basis. You know, just when I feel like doing it, that's when I will do it. So after my hiatus, Prime, and this is honestly why I started talking about this in the first place. After my hiatus, I'm going to, I'm going to be real honest with you guys. I don't really know how much longer Trinus Magnus Punch's reality is actually going to last. Um, the commitment that I've made is I'm going to finish up the Smallville retrospective, which will be released on an irregular basis. So you can't really time how long my show has uh, has uh, until I pull the plug on it. Um, it could be that I do nothing but Smallville and I just run the clock out that way. Or I may release one Smallville episode a month or maybe one every two months or just however I feel like doing it, right? So Prime, uh, the part that you may or may not be all that interested in What I've been seriously thinking about doing, I'm not committing to anything, I'm not promising anything, but one of the things that I've been very seriously thinking about doing is a little bit of a deep dive on the Jeff Johns run of Superman, and just taking a look back at that and asking, how good is this really? Or for that matter, how bad is this really? You know, and basically try to be a little bit more objective about it than I was and the last Jeff Johns Superman episode I did, which I believe was about Secret Origin. And if memory serves, I didn't even finish that episode. I got so pissed off about Gary Frank's artwork that I think I just said, fuck it, I'm ending the show, this episode right now, and you guys can just deal, you know? And I'd like to think that I don't have uh, temper tantrums like that as often anymore, which some would say is a sign of maturity. I, I, I don't know. I'm not really the one, I guess, to talk too much about that. But anyway, point is, I'm not promising that I'm going to do it, but I am very seriously considering 
doing a, a series of episodes about the Jeff Johns run on Superman. And uh, there's a particular angle, and I don't want to tell you what it is, but there's a particular angle that I want to take on this, uh, you know, the Jeff Johns stuff with Superman, that I honestly have never heard. I mean, to me, it seems blindingly obvious, but I've honestly never heard anyone else talk about it, you know, at least not directly. And so I thought, well, you know, this is something new and kind of original that I can bring to the table when it comes to the Jeff Johns Superman and maybe give you guys something that you can't find <clears throat> just anywhere else, right? That's the thinking. So like I say, uh, nothing set in stone. I'm not promising anything, but, you know, Prime that may, or for that matter, may not be something that you're interested in. So uh, I don't know. But anyway, getting back into Prime's email, because this really is supposed to be about him. Getting back into Prime's email, he writes, I mean, my idea of Aquaman is more solid in, in that case. I... And Prime, I'm going to be honest with you, I'm having a little bit of trouble parsing this out, so I'm just going to read what's here, and I hope this kind of makes sense. But, I mean, my idea of Aquaman is more solid in that case. I still the most of Buziek's era as the character, which I know is very different than anyone else's. Got to tell Rob Kelly about that sometime. And Prime, I'm going to put your email back on pause and say, you know, Aquaman is one of those characters that... I always intended to get more into at some point because in a strange kind of way, you know, I always kind of thought of him as being sort of like the DC Comics equivalent or maybe analog of Thor, you know, Marvel's Thor, you know, in that, you know, he's kind of a superhero or at least he operates in that milieu. But the fact is, I mean, he's a king and he's not really... He lives in his own world, and he's not really a part of our world so much, but he it's just the nature of, of his calling in life is that he does have to interact with our world on a semi-regular basis. And so I, I'm not saying that A is A, but I, I, for one, have always seen some fairly straight lines between Aquaman and, and Thor, but... Having said all of that, Aquaman is one of those characters that I just, I never really got into quite as much. I mean, when the new 52 was underway, by which I mean it was just getting started, I was kind of digging the uh, uh, Jeff Johns stuff on Aquaman. I thought that stuff was really good. And I'd been kind of nursing a little bit of a Aquaman fixation up to that point, you know, anyway. I'd been... I read a couple of those uh, miniseries from the 80s. There's uh, there's Time and Tide, and God, what is the other? There was, the, there was some other miniseries, or maybe it was a very short-lived, ongoing. I forget what, but there was some Aquaman stuff, and this is the point. There was, some, there was a fair amount of Aquaman stuff that came out in the late 80s and early 90s that I was really starting to get into right around uh, the latter part of, 2010 and getting into the early part, early to mid part of 2011. And then not very long thereafter, uh, the new 52 started for real. And there was this air of, I'm not sure how to put it, not necessarily blowing off the past because I don't think that the new 52 Aquaman was necessarily like full scale scorched earth page one reboot. I, I think that we are, that we were supposed to infer that a lot of, 
the big picture stuff that Aquaman did throughout the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, and so forth, those things were still very much in continuity. And as so much, like so much else with uh, Jeff Johns, it's it's kind of up for grabs, you know, like how literally should we take some of this stuff? I don't know. But, you know, the point of it was, you know, this is something that I was I was just starting to get into, right? And then the disenchantment, at least for me, with the New 52 set in, I would say pretty quickly. And what I ended up doing was uh, just backing out of DC Comics pretty much altogether. And so at that time, I was collecting... Uh, the odd image title here and there, stuff like The Walking Dead, and I want to say uh, Morning Glories and a couple of other things that Image was putting out at the time. And the, everything else, you know, I think there was like the occasional like Boom Studios or Dynamite comic or something like that. But everything else was pretty much Marvel for me by that point, you know. And it's kind of interesting, you know, how much the pendulum has swung totally the other way now for a lot of people. But uh, anyway, and so... My point, because I can't seem to stay on it here, my point is that, you know, Aquaman is one of those characters that I've always liked, I've always been kind of interested in, but never really had any particular expertise with. And so, you know, I don't know. I mean, uh, you didn't specifically mention it in your email here or anything, but it does kind of make me wonder if it would be worth doing to maybe throw in a couple of Aquaman episodes, you know, because, uh, you know, why not clear off my bucket list? I mean, there's a ton of stuff on the bucket list, so let's be real. Trinus Magnus Punches Reality isn't going to survive long enough to cover. So, whatever. But maybe at least getting a little bit of a sample of of, of some stuff, that might be kind of fun. I don't know. I don't know. But um, anyway, so my point uh, in, in bringing all of this up is to say I have, like, I guess uh, – kind of an awareness of the Peter David run on Aquaman and like the, like the, the obvious things that happened, you know, during the, the Peter David run, um, actually read a fair amount of the Jeff Johns run. And like I say, the stuff that was coming out in the late eighties and, uh, early nineties, I, you know, read through some of that, but I, it took reading your email here, for me to realize that Kurt Busiek ever even had a run on Aquaman because bro, that really is news to me. I truly had no idea. So I don't know. Uh, this is something that I don't know. Maybe I could take a look at, take a look at some of this, this Busiek stuff and I don't know, just give it a day in court, you know, I don't know. Something to think about, you know, there's time. So anyway, getting back into prime's email though, he writes as for all-star Superman. Well, the earliest Superman stories that I've read so far is the Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow trade, and I read um, issue 9 of All-Star Superman as the foes he was facing looked interesting to me. I think I should have started with issue 1. I'm going to put your email back on, on uh, pause here, Prime, and say, yeah, <laughs> I'm thinking you should. You know, that is, uh, look, I understand that, you know, Grant Morrison has kind of a uh, mixed reputation with a lot of comic book fans, and especially with certain members of the uh, Two True Freaks Network, and I'm not second-guessing them or questioning their taste or anything. I'm just saying that, you know, I've read some pretty fucking bizarre uh, Grant Morrison comics in my day, and, you know, the people who think it's all just one big, you know, mushroom hallucination, well, 
I can't tell you that you're completely wrong, but you know, I read a like a, I, I would say a bigly chunk of his uh, Batman run, and I, you know, guys, I mean, it just seems kind of like Batman to me. You know, I mean, it doesn't seem like the that weird druggy, trippy Grant Morrison stuff, or at least the stuff that people seem to want to mention whenever they badmouth Grant Morrison. You know, and again, I'm not saying that they're wrong to do it. You know, his work is kind of love it or leave it. I'll be the first to admit that. But I'm just saying that I don't think this is necessarily characteristic of all his work. And as it happens, I don't think it's characteristic of his work on All-Star Superman. The fact of the matter, at least for me, is that, you know, that is one of the great Superman stories that anybody has ever told. And I kind of like the idea that it's an end of Superman story, but it's not really the end of Superman. You know, it's it's basically Superman undergoing his next big transformation, you know, so he's not Superman anymore. He's going to become perhaps something else, you know, and I like that, you know, um, basically a story where Superman dies. You pretty much have to play that just the right way in order for me to be on board with it. So there's that. Or there's there are end of Superman stories where he just fucking gives up, right? And I suspect we're going to be coming back to that in just a minute. And that doesn't really play for me either. But a Superman story where he doesn't so much die or quit or something as so much as he just he undergoes the next phase of his transformation, you know? And I like that. I, I like that idea that he's always going to be here. But he may or may not always be wearing the cape. He may be perhaps something more or at least something else, something bigger. You know, I just like that. You know, I think that's a really cool and really original way to do an end of Superman or at least end of Superman as we knew him type of story. You know what I mean? So I don't know. I, I hope I'm making sense here because uh, Prime, it's got, you know, it's been like just really long week for me. I'm freaking exhausted you know it's friday afternoon as i record all of this and the reason i'm doing it right now is because i'm almost 50 percent sure that i'm not gonna have time to record anything this weekend and something's got to come out on monday so uh here we are so anyway getting back into prime's email though he writes i have seen the direct to DVD adaptation of the miniseries, by which he means All-Star Superman, and I rather enjoyed it. It was fun and had an energy to it, and it seemed like anything could happen. Unlike the current bunch, to be honest. And guys, just to put, again, to put this all in perspective when he says the current bunch, he means the current bunch circa October the 2nd, 2014. You know what I mean? So uh, just something to keep in mind there. So anyway, getting back into Prime's email. Oh, and you did talk about Batman. Well, my DC Presents Batman, I joke as you know, I, I joke as I know you meant using Batman as the focus of an episode being what you didn't want to do in 2014, and indeed, <laughs> that is not what I wanted to do in 2014. I do like the idea of this being a very well-established Superman for several decades, though it does make me wonder what has happened to the Justice League in that time. Did it end up like the Justice League before Flashpoint? And it was made mostly of legacy heroes and the children of JSAers. I think Johnny Quick and Liberty Bell were in the JSA as well as the All-Star Squadron. What was Gotham like? Or Keystone City? Was Connor Hawk Green Arrow? God, I hope not. Jeez, that was horrible. I mean, better to wonder about that world than the other All-Star titles world. 
you know, crazy Steve's world as that guy was not Batman. I mean, you've seen my, my ideas for the DC Universe, and you notice I was a lot more respectful to it than Frank Miller was. I'm going to put this email on pause right here in mid-paragraph, actually, and say, you know what? Yeah, I tend to agree with that. I mean, as the... As, I mean, I kind of regard Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns miniseries, like the various miniseries that there have been in that universe, to be an ongoing example of kind of diminishing returns. I don't really have controversial opinions when it comes to this. I mean, the first is obviously the best of the bunch. And then from there, it just gets a little bit worse and a little bit worse. And it's like more and more of the DC universe gets kind of dragged into the mud and you know what whatever fine i'm i'm cool with that but it's like some of the some of the neater and more like original ideas that frank miller brought to the dark knight returns even those things start getting sullied like uh and i'm going off memory here prime so forgive me if i'm getting something wrong but like carrie kelly becoming like she became like a new version of catwoman or something like that it was just I forget what I, it's just it's one of, I read it so long ago it's really not all that fresh in my mind anymore but it was like geez this is just so fucking retarded like what are we even doing here this is dumb 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 so I don't know look I guess everyone has their own preferences prime I mean I've heard not a lot of people you understand but a fair number of people who have spoken highly of the uh, Dark Knight Returns uh, sequels and whatnot. But it sounds to me like you and I are more or less on the same page when it comes to this, so uh, good to know. Anyway, getting back into Prime's email, he writes, says a lot when my biggest regret with All-Star Batman and Robin is, I wonder how much money I could have gotten in bets of it and Ultimates 2 coming out the same week, given how late they both were. Even Scarlet Witch would go, damn. That's something even my hex powers would be hard-pressed to make happen. <laughs> uh, well, it's prime. It's, it's God's truth, man. Uh, you know, it's... I don't know if this is still a problem with comics today. You know, because, I mean, like I say, I kind of tuned out of comics, at least DC comics. I want to say it was probably, like, sometime in, like, 2012 or something like that. Basically... Like, to the degree that DC ever really found their, their legs, their sea legs with the new 52, that was just about the time that I bailed. You know, it's like, I don't see things getting much better anytime soon, so I'm out, right? And then later, it was like 2012 or 2013, something like that, um, we got a tax increase. Uh, the president, who was president at the time, uh, basically raised taxes, and so there went my comic book budget. And so, as it was, I just sort of retired from collecting comics. Not reading comics, because, you know, I'm, I've still got my collection that I have. But, you know, but in terms of, like, buying new comics, I mean, I probably haven't done it. Shit, at this point, it's got to... It could be as much as five years, you know? So, anyway, I don't know. That's that that is that is what happened. So anyway, getting back into uh, Prime's email and away from the political and economic stuff on to Jimmy Olsen. He's a character who's just there to me, though. Seeing him actually, you know, before before I get into that, this next part of your email, Prime, I want to I want to tackle this part right here. You say that 
Jimmy is basically just a character who's there for you. And you know what? I get that. You know, some people like him and some people don't, you know, Jimmy Olsen. But the, to me, there's something that's – I think Jimmy should always somewhat reflect the experiences of the youth, you know, or perhaps the aspirations of the youth, you know. Whoever the youth in America are at any given moment – and whatever they, whatever ideas or values they seem to be expressing at any given time, I think those ideas and concepts can use Jimmy Olsen as kind of entree into the story, you know. And I, for one, really dig Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen and the, those just wacky, wacky, wacky stories that were that were coming out in you know all through the uh, the '60s and whatnot. You know, I mean. You guys think that Grant Morrison is a kind of a drug-tripping mindfuck of a read of a comic book? Guys, you need to check out some of those Jimmy Olsen back issues, because I'm going to tell you something, guys. Those are some pretty over-the-top ideas that were that were coming around. And, like, the thing is, you know, when you think – at least my conception of the Silver Age is this really, really densely heavy, way-over-the-top, heavy-duty science fantasy – you know, that bears no similarity whatsoever to our, to our notions of reality and, you know, just the way that the world works. And he those stories are just perfect for that kind of universe, you know. I really dig it. I think those, those comics are a ton of fun. You start getting into, you know, the Burn Age, sort of post-crisis Superman. And, you know, I don't remember anyone trying too hard to, you know, didactically label Jimmy Olsen as kind of the the sort of Gen X sort of slacker, you know, the or maybe not slacker, but the guy that, you know, there was a point, and I don't remember it lasting very long, but there was a point when, you know, in the, the late 80s and into the early 90s when, you know, Gen Xers who were just entering the workforce had a very hard time getting ahead, you know. And I guess to kind of give you sort of like a frame of reference for that, just kind of picture uh, Winona Ryder's character from Reality Bites. You know, she's having to do the work that she can that she can do. She's having to accept the jobs that she can get. You know, uh, she's basically just starting out in her career, and it's kind of catch as catch can. You know, and that was kind of where Jimmy was in the early '90s. You know, where. You know, he he wasn't Mr. Action necessarily anymore. You know, he wasn't really Superman's pal, at least not as he had been in the Silver Age. He was a little bit more like he was a little bit more reflective of the the thoughts and ideas and experiences of the early 20 something Gen X uh, kids that were running around and just the kind of confusion and directionlessness. And a lot of people called it slacker culture. And I don't think I don't know if that's completely fair. I think maybe a better way to put it was they were trying to, you know, the economy, it wasn't as bad as it would ultimately get for people my age, but it was, you know, kind of a little bit dicey there for a little while, especially for, you know, young people. And, you know, Jimmy was kind of reflective of that, you know, and I think that's a, that, that's a good and intelligent way to use Jimmy Olsen, you know, now, Honestly, if he'd been done that way from about, well, let me think, like September the 14th, 2008, I think it was, when 
the you know people call that a recession you know this shit economy that we all lived through for all those years like nine years or something like that they call that the great recession and the reason for that is because basically we as a society want to protect the goddamn mystique of the great depression because nothing could ever be as bad as the great depression was well you know what guys fuck you because I was just starting off, well, I wasn't just starting off, but I was well on my way, uh, you know, in the workforce and really starting to make traction when the fucking economy went to shit for like nine years. And so I lost basically nine years of, you know, like uh, growth and development that I would have had in my fucking career through all that time. And, you know, there were people who were like living in California and stuff like that. Like you had these shanty towns that were all over the place, like these homeless villages that we don't dare talk about on, on, on the fucking news because that's just too depressing to people. So we have to keep calling this thing a recession, number one, so that there's not a, uh, like this huge panic among the public, and number two, to protect the fuckwit pres uh, president that we had at the time. And, you know, it's just, God, that is just so fucking retarded. And so I don't care what anybody says. That shit economy we had through all of the Obama years, that was a depression guys okay it was and so for jimmy olsen to be kind of portrayed as this da perpetually down on his luck you know millennial who was unable to get ahead and uh you know basically had to take you know second jobs for shit wages because you know there was just nothing else that was available to him at the time and all that that really w would have gotten you know wearisome after about year six or seven or something like that so you know i'm i i, I guess i can maybe excuse DC for presumably not portraying Jimmy in those, in those types of ways during those years, it really would have gotten old after a while, you know, for Jimmy to be not, not to be the, like I say, the perpetually down on his luck millennial, but like the way that boomers tend to view millennials, you know, very looking down their nose and, you look, you guys, you've all seen those old economy Steve memes and everything. That really is what boomers think. You know, it it is. It's true. You know, so anyway. So point being that like so many years of that, you know, six, seven, eight, nine years of that really would have gotten old. So I understand perhaps why DC decided, you know, discretion may be the better part of valor here and went a different way with Jimmy. But generally speaking, I do think that Jimmy should be, you know, representative of the youth culture. You know, basically what, whatever it is that, you know, 21, 22, 23-year-olds are most likely to do, say, think, feel, believe in, uh, and, and so forth, he should be that, you know? And to me, that's just a smart way of utilizing Jimmy. So anyway... Getting back into Prime's email, because again, this is supposed to be about him, uh, he writes, Though seeing him and Lana Lang ride into battle with Superman against his foes and whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow was pretty cool. And if I remember correctly, Lana broke Lex's neck. That fight also highlighted that the Legion of Supervillains were deep down cowards, or at least aware that Superman wasn't fucking around after they murdered Jimmy and Lana. With it likely that Superman was going to see how many galaxies he, uh, it, with it likely Superman was going to see how many galaxies he could uh, kick them, and that's if he didn't just vaporize them with his heat vision. I guess whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow is the closest to the Silver Age and Bronze Age I've gotten. I'm going to put this email back on pause and say, you know, I know you talk a little bit more about this, you know, in your email prime, but you know, I'm 
really sorry, man. I mean, that the Silver Age has so much more going for it than that kind of torture porn. Uh, I don't even know what abortion of a Silver Age imaginary story that Alan Moore wanted to write that it would pain me if you thought that's what the Silver Age was all about. And, and look, obviously, you know your shit when you, when it comes to comics. So I'm sure, you know, that's not what the Silver Age was like. But it's like Alan Moore seemed to see it as his self-assigned task to basically take something that was, I don't know, just kind of aspirational, idealistic science fantasy and just shit all over it, you know, and basically turn it into a Saw movie or something like that. I just say, fuck you, Alan Moore. I mean, look, if that's what if that's the direction you want to go with Watchmen, hey, Go for it. Go right ahead. Be my guest. I I rather like Watchmen. I think I think that's a those the the twelve issue Watchmen miniseries, which in my head canon trademark Emily Middleton is the only Watchmen. That's the only Watchmen story that 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 exists. Hey, it's great for that. You know that kind of really dark, gritty, nihilistic, over the top, violent type of approach. Hey, go right ahead. But bringing shit like that into Superman, it's, fuck you. So anyway, and, and, you know, the Bronze Age, he didn't even touch the Bronze Age. Basically, if anything happened after 1970, it's like Alan Moore just doesn't care about it. So I don't know, whatever. Prime, I'm not trying to preach at you. Read Silver Age Superman or don't read Silver Age Superman. Read Bronze Age Superman or don't read Bronze Age Superman. But for God's sake, man, <laughs> please don't picture whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow when you think of the Silver Age Superman, or when you think of the Bronze Age Superman, you know, that's all I'm saying, so anyway, back into Prime's email, he writes, and yes, Magnus, I do remember your review of that story, meaning whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow, and I do hope a review of Alan Moore's Wildcats will come up in your image retrospective. I believe I've mentioned I like the first uh, trade of Alan Moore's Wildcats over his whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow. Actually, Prime, I'm going to be honest with you, I don't remember you saying, I'm not saying you didn't, I'm just saying I don't remember you saying that. I can't really promise that I'm going to talk about Alan Moore's Wildcats whenever I finally, finally, finally get around to that image retrospective that I keep talking about. I mean, technically, in a certain way, I've already done it, but there's, there's, number one, I technically didn't finish it, and number two, eh, there's still maybe some more, some more to, to talk about with that, so I don't know. Something to think about, if nothing else. So, uh, yeah. Back into Prime's email. He writes, On to the Ursa from Superman 2 playing into why goth chicks excite fanboys. So, eh, I can see that. I skipped the Jimmy Olsen and Clark in prison getting one last interview with uh, Lex issues as there really, really isn't anything I can add to that. Well, there you go. Fair enough. What I can add is why in God's name anyone finds women you can... You can clearly see their their rib cage attractive. It just turns me off completely. Just ick. Uh, Prime, I'm going to put your email back on pause here and say, you know, that seems to be that really kind of uh, long and tall, sort of skinny mini uh, uh, type of uh, really petite female form. I don't know why, but that really does seem to be where Frank Quietly wants to go with women. He likes drawing those just really lanky looking women. And honestly, I mean, I guess everybody has their limits or for that matter, I guess everybody has their preference, 
But, I mean, you know, those really skinny chicks, I, they don't necessarily excite me. They don't really bother me either. I mean, look, some people are just skinny. I mean, you know, it's just they have the body that God gave them, and that's that's all there is to it, really. So, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's just... See, I'm I'm trying not to sound too in sync with this whole body shame type, you know, or anti-body shame type movement, you know, um, because honestly, it's just those people can be so shrill and so screechy and so obnoxious, but at the same time, they do kind of have a point, you know. Uh, if somebody's really skinny, then they're really skinny, and they should be accepted on those terms. If somebody's really heavy, then they're really heavy, and they should be accepted on those terms, you know. It's not it's really not cool to make fun of people because of their body or because of the way that they look or something like that. You know, I mean, again, I'm not trying to sound like one of those anti body shaming types, but I don't know, whatever. I mean, if people want to interpret all this as me agreeing with them, I can't I can't stop you. But it's just I, I just please don't lump me in with them. All right. I'm 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 not that guy. But nevertheless, yes, they are right. You know, we should accept people for who they are. You know, if they're skinny, that's fine. If they're heavy, that's fine. You know, whatever. As for what people find attractive, look, I am so far past judging other people for what they find attractive. I mean, honestly, there was a point when <clears throat> I'm trying to th uh, the the girl from uh, the Transform uh, Megan Fox, right? There was a point when Megan Fox, like now, like these days, I don't know so much about, but like at least back in, you know, like 10 years ago or something like that, Megan Fox was pretty much held up as like the gold standard of feminine beauty. And I never found her to be that, you know, um, I always just kind of like, you know, clean cut, cute blonde types, right? I'm like Chloe Sullivan from Smallville for a long time there. That really was my ideal woman. I mean, that's it right there. You know, um, but the fact is there are people out there who think that Megan Fox is the hardest, the uh, hardest, sorry, hottest thing on on two legs. And you know what? Who am I to tell them that they're wrong? You know, I mean, I don't agree with them. I certainly don't condone that, but yeah, whatever. I mean, it's no skin off my nose for other people to find uh, Megan Fox or, or as you say, like those just those really skinny types. For people to find them attractive. I mean, look, if that's what somebody's into, then hey, whatever. You know, there's there's maybe the real comfort in all of this is there's a degree to which it doesn't really matter what you look like. There's somebody out there who thinks that you are the hottest thing on two legs. All right. So just open up your Facebook. Just pick one of your friends at random. And you need to realize that whoever's picture that you just clicked on, there are, well, for sure, there's at least one person. But my bet is there are tens of thousands of people in this world who thinks that whoever's picture that you just clicked on, that person is hot. So is it really my business to criticize what other people think is is sexy and whoever they're they're attracted to? It's It's none of my business, you know, it's just... It's not so uh, prime. I mean, I'm not I'm not trying to like chastise you here or anything, but I mean, look, I get it. I'm I, like I say, I'm not really into like those super skinny chick uh, chicks myself, but 
you know, if somebody else likes it, well, hey, good for them, you know. Maybe they'll be happy together. Who knows? Anyway, getting back into uh, Prime's email, he writes, Anyway, I won't be surprised if my 25-page DC Presents email to you is considered a labor. Well, besides of labor of love and insanity. And Prime, I really am sorry. I remember that email, and I, it, it broke me. <laughs> okay? It really it broke me. I, there was just – there was so much stuff in there. Um, it, You know, there's no way to say it without sounding like I'm insulting you, and I don't want you – to feel insulted, but I mean, it really was a pretty long email. So hopefully there are no hard feelings there. I, I, I got through, I think a pretty good chunk of it. And, um, I forget which email I read it in because we're talking like four years ago now, or, or maybe five, it could very well be five years now that, uh, you sent it. And so, um, I, 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 I really don't remember what email it, or sorry, email, what episode I, I read your, uh, or started reading your email in, but, um, Guys, there was a lot more stuff that was left on the cutting room floor, so to speak. You know, I, there was a lot of stuff that uh, – a lot of detail and world building and character development that that Prime uh, packed into that email. I mean, that thing was a serious Lulu, right? And again, no offense, Prime. I, I hope you understand. So anyway, but uh, yeah um, – what I will say, though, is that that really did sound like a like a really entertaining show. That's something that I really would have gotten a kick out of watching, and hopefully a sh that show or something like it will be made someday. You know, we can hope. So, anyway. And that is pretty much it for, uh, for a Prime's email. So, uh, Prime, thank you very much for uh, taking the time to write in. I don't know why, but your emails, they always have me... I don't want to say like verbal diarrhea or anything like that, but man, you know, there's just a lot of, there are a lot of, uh, points of most emails that you send in that have ample, uh, room for, for discussion. Right. So anyway, so, uh, maybe no, nah, I think I got time for one more. It's time for one more. So anyway, I'm just going to blast through this next one. Uh, this comes from Tom Panarese. Sent on uh, March the 7th, 2015. And the reason I'm kind of skipping ahead here in my uh, uh, feedback backlog here is uh, the, uh, the title of this email does kind of intrigue me. Uh, Tom titled this email, Batman, Nightfall, and Taking the Character Too Seriously. Tom Panarese, who, by the way, is the host of the uh, Pop Culture Affidavit podcast. Uh, Tom writes, Your Excellency. I'm currently making my way through a backlog of episodes, and I just finished listening to episode number 79, at the end of which you talked about Batman, his motivations, and several important events that happened when you and I were just getting into comics, which were A Death in the Family, Nightfall, and Prodigal. As I often do, I found myself agreeing with much of what you said. If you start with Batman number 408 and go all the way through Batman and some issues of the New Teen Titans slash New Titans to the end of Prodigal, you get a very nice story that is the overall evolution and maturation of the character and concept of Robin and the character of Dick Grayson. I know this wasn't intended when Max Allen Collins wrote Did Robin Die Tonight, which was the Batman Fires Dick Grayson issue that led into the revamped origin of Jason Todd, but the conflict between Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson starts with that story and ends at the end of Prodigal with an acceptance between the two of them that as you said, Dick Grayson is Nightwing and not a Batman in training. And, Tom, I'm going to put your email on pause here and say, you know what? Yeah, I, 
obviously I, I agree with that. You know, I think that's actually a very good way to put it. But, you know, one of the things that if you think I'm wrong about this, Tom, I I want you to correct me. You know, I want you to. Right. But I get the idea that there was maybe a soft retconning of uh, basically Batman firing Dick to where there was it wasn't so much that Dick got fired as it was that he sort of outgrew being Robin. You know, uh, there was a lot of chafing. You know, uh, Batman was chafing him. He was chafing Batman. And he really was growing up and becoming his own person. And that's the true reason why their partnership ultimately dissolved. It wasn't that Batman fired Dick as such. It was more that there was an unspoken kind of dissolution of Batman and Dick's partnership, you know? Now, again, that's not what we saw in uh, Batman number 408, which was, as you say, Batman fires Dick. But I get the idea that at some point along the way, there was like kind of a softening of that. You know, they just kind of subtly retconned that, that maybe he wasn't fired with extreme prejudice, but more that maybe Dick Grayson kind of outgrew this, you know, maybe Dick decided one day you have to put away childish things, you know, and honestly, I mean, that's, that's a lot more interesting to me and a lot more compelling to me than Batman in one issue firing Dick Grayson because being Robin is too dangerous. And then in the next issue, recruiting some completely homeless kid to be the new Robin. What the fuck? You know, like even when I was a kid and I was reading these comics, I was like, is that supposed to make sense to anybody? But it it just it didn't make sense to me. You know, it didn't. So anyway, get, uh, sorry, Tom, this is supposed to be about you. And, uh, sorry. Uh, getting back into Tom's email, he writes, one thing that I think was absolutely necessary for this to happen was Jason Todd's death. You are right. Jason is Bruce's failure. Moreover, he did not need to come back to remind Bruce of that failure. The Robin uniform hangs in a trophy case as a, mo as a memorial in the Batcave as a constant reminder. We certainly have seen Tim Drake stare at it enough times over the years, and yeah, yeah, we did. That was, um, I just, I like that, you know, uh, Tom. And I'm, you know, I'm glad that you and I are kind of coming from the same place on this. You know, um, and basically to wind up, uh, the Caped Crusades, kind of, sorta, but not really. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna launch a kind of a mini, mini series, kind of a mini series within a mini series, if you can follow that, of the Caped Crusades that I'm kind of informally calling Batman's uh, series finale, right, Tom? And basically, the 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 shtick of it is gonna be. Going through what I consider to be the story where my Batman's story concludes. This is not to say that this is where my Batman ends, per se, but this is where my Batman's story kind of wraps up. And I'm not going to be too specific about it except to say it was done, this story was published before Jason Todd came back from the dead. And to me, Jason Todd, in my headcanon, Jason Todd is dead. He stayed dead. And that is pretty much that, you know, it just to me, it, I don't need Jason Todd back from the dead. I didn't like him when he was Robin, 
I like him even less now that he's back from the dead. Oh, and by the way, he's not Robin anymore. You know, it's just, it's fucking stupid. So, anyway, anyway, anyway. <sighs> Getting back to Tom's email. As for Nightfall and Nightquest, you're right on all fronts about the story being a cop-out way of saying this is why Batman doesn't kill. I'll add one more editorial reason to why Dick Grayson isn't in Nightfall slash Nightquest. And that's because at the time, he was not under the editorial control of Denny O'Neill. Instead, he was being written by Marv Wolfman over in New Teen Titans, which was headed up by another editor. The best way I can describe DC's atmosphere at the time is fiefdoms. Each group of titles had an editor. They more or less did their own thing, and sometimes one group didn't know what the other group was doing. So if Denny wanted to use Dick Grayson in Nightfall, he would have had to go to the Titans editor at the time. I believe it was either John Peterson or Rob Simpson, and ask. He wouldn't have gotten permission because Nightwing was involved in a massive storyline that dragged on for way too long, and sending him to Gotham wouldn't have worked the way it had a few years earlier with A Lonely Place of Dying. I'm going to put this back on pause and say, yeah, you know, Tom, that's actually, you know, number one, that's probably true, but number two, that's actually a really good point. I don't remember what my exact comments were in the episode that you're commenting on, but uh, I am a little bit surprised at myself that I apparently didn't think of that on my own, you know, so thank you. <laughs> I realize I'm getting, I'm getting to it, you know, at this point, uh, over, uh, three years late, but, uh, thank you for, for pointing that out because apparently I was too clueless to do it myself. Now, excuse me while I get a sip off of my, uh, Dr. Pepper here. All right, I'm also going to get a uh, couple of drags off my e-cig. All right. Sorry about that, guys. Um, just all this talking, it's uh, getting kind of a dry throat here. Anyway, uh, Tom goes on with, I've said before, and had it rebuffed, that the Night Saga is the get-out-of-90s free card for Batman fans. Max Landis can go on immature hipster rants about the death of Superman, and everyone, except for those of us who are actually freaking there, can laugh and laugh, and continue to wrongly assign blame for the 90s at the feet of Superman number 75. But doing something similar to Batman and then saying, we meant to do that to prove a point, gives fans of the character license to be pretentious. I started to crap out on Batman during No Man's Land and stopped reading his comics altogether right around the time of Bruce Wayne Murderer and Bruce Wayne Fugitive. I wasn't mad about the way the character was handled or anything like that. I simply realized that I was buying Batman and Detective Comics out of obligation more than anything, simply because I'd been reading them since 1990. Jeez, dude, 1990, fuck. Anyway, I'm no authority on Batman, and despite my once having a podcast about the character, I don't want to call myself an authority on Robin or Nightwing. Uh, Tom, I'm going to put your email on pause and say, you know what? You may not want that title for yourself, but I think a lot of your your listeners would uh, would beg to differ with you. Put it that way. What I will say though is that you know I don't I don't really get into Nightwing 
quite as much as you do. I do like the character, don't get me wrong. But one of the things that I like about Nightwing is that he kind of exemplifies the strength of the Batman, basically Batman's corner of the DC universe, you know? That it's not just that Batman is an amazingly well-written character, he is surrounded by amazingly well-written characters. And to me, one of the lasting tragedies of the New 52 is that it kind of... Tim Drake, if you ask me, got a pretty raw deal with that, you know? Because it's kind of up for grabs, you know, like how legitimate a Robin was he ever really? And a lot of that kind of comes down to the stupid-ass five-year timeline that somebody dreamed up where basically superheroes made their debut on a floating timeline five years ago. It was always five years ago in continuity. And if you're working with a five-year timeline, there's really no way to have a succession of a bunch of different Robins, right? Well, Dick Grayson having been Robin is non-negotiable. We must have that, right? And in a DC universe that for God only knows what reason brought Jason Todd back from the dead, he too is non-negotiable. He has to have been Robin at some point. And so if you're going to have Damian Wayne serving as Robin now, well, this too is non-negotiable. He must be Robin. And it's kind of hard to fit Tim Drake in. I mean, first off, it's hard to fit three Robins into a five-year timeline anyway. But it's really hard to fit four Robins into a five-year timeline. And so, you know, I mean, from a logistical standpoint, yeah, Tim Drake kind of was odd man on. But number one, I don't fucking need Jason Todd back from the dead. Number two, if I don't need Jason Todd back from the dead, I don't need Damian Wayne at all, you know? And so, just fuck all of that. So, anyway. But my point is to say that, you know, Dick Grayson is, to me, he's a, he's a, a big part of what makes uh, Batman comics so awesome, you know? And, you know, the fact that he served as Robin, and then he, he, he was a sidekick, and then he didn't graduate to replace the person under whom he was a sidekick. He instead kind of seized his own destiny. And I kind of like that, you know? It's, it's, I mean, Bruce Wayne has to be Batman, you know? And so Dick Grayson kind of needs to go in his own direction, and I like that. You know, I can't help thinking that if DC had done something kind of similar to that with Wally West, where maybe he's not the Flash, maybe he's really, really freaking fast man, then maybe Wally wouldn't be such a joke. I don't know. Wally is a joke now. I don't Jeez, that character. What happened? Anyway, getting back into Tom's email, though. Um, he writes, Then again, I don't... I don't like the feeling I get among fans of the character that stating my opinion or offering a different opinion will not lead to a healthy discussion or debate, but will lead to me being corrected on something. I know this is something that nerds and geeks deal with, but it seems especially egregious with Batman fans. And yeah, you know, I kind of have to agree with you there. Uh, Tom goes on to say, I don't know where I'm necessarily going with this, and this email is already long enough, but I'd like to say that I'm glad you went on your rant and indulged mine here, and are not treating the Dark Knight as some sort of sacred cow. The podcast is, as always, top-notch, and I'm looking forward to more episodes. All the best. Signed, Tom. And Tom, thank you. Thank you very much. I, you know, I always enjoy getting email from you. Um, you always have 
as with your podcast, you always have, you know, plenty of food for thought and always a, a kind of a different angle on things. And, you know, it's always original and it's just, it's always good. So, uh, so, uh, Ben Boy Miss Prime and Tom both. Thank you both for uh, taking the time to write in. I really appreciate that. And it uh, looks like this this episode is just about long enough as it is. So anyway, as it goes for next week, what I'm going to be talking about is uh, more Smallville because next week is the eighth episode in this eight episode cycle. And in the eighth episode, I always, always, always talk about Smallville, but that's going to be next week. So think that's pretty much it for me this week so bye everybody i will see you next week that's just about the end of that. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a proud member of the Two True Freaks podcast network. You can find the home for Trennis Magnus Punches Reality on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. You can friend me on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. You can email me and my parole officer at trennismagnus at gmail.com. Do you have a suggestion for a topic? Feel free to email me, and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise. Do you have a podcast of your own? If so, why not record a promo for me to play on my show? It's quick, easy, and can help you spread the word about your show. I'm always looking for more promos to play. Keep it fairly short, and yours could be next. My promos can be found at this show's homepage for those interested. Just look for the promos section. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at TwoTrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, Two True Freaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the Two True Freaks at the same time. Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. 
Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void where prohibited by law, some assembly required, batteries not included. The white zone is for passenger loading and unloading only. All models are over the age of 18. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with DeMonzacore of Milan, Italy.